there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected. Other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. talk this morning about something that I think you'll find interesting. I find it interesting. I've thought a lot about this, trying to figure out certain things. Did anyone have an imaginary friend when they were a child? Or did you know anyone who did? There are people who do have imaginary friends when they're children. But I, I noticed that we, too, have imaginary friends. Here we are adults, and we have imaginary friends. And our imaginary friends eat, and um, we have to feed them. That's part of being a grown-up. You have imaginary friends that eat and that you have to feed. What's worse is what they eat. When people begin hearing about this work, one of the many ideas they resist in the beginning, and for a long time afterwards, is that we must struggle with imagination. And it's funny because I've had people defend imagination to me. Well, what about this, and what about that, and where would this be, and where would that be without imagination? And I don't usually answer them, and the reason I don't answer them is because they don't know enough to hear the answer. An unfortunate thing is people hear two things about this work, and already their minds are off and running. They're already resisting and objecting and, and figuring it out and telling you what's wrong and what's right, as if their lives were that perfect, that they could just immediately start to criticize anything that might help them. Know that what you defend, you get to keep. That's the first thing. I need to say. So when, when people defend something, some idea, like imagination, they do, well, imagination is good. We all need imagination. Where would the world be without imagination? When you defend something, you get to keep it. That's fine. I'll keep my imagination. I think it's a good thing. Okay. Know also that you can't change and remain the same. Something must go. Everybody wants to be different, but nobody wants to change. Everybody wants to have their lives different, but nobody wants to give anything up to have their life be different. They want to have this and that. No, just pile that on top of what I already have and cover it up. Cover up what I don't like with what I do like. I don't really want to get rid of it because it's connected to something else. It's rooted in something else that I really like and I really think I need. So I don't want to get rid of that. So I want to keep that, but I want to be different. And that's not how it works. Something has to go. When people aggressively defend imagination, they turn negative. Because when we aggressively defend anything, we turn negative. Because that is what it means to be negative. And they can't be talked to, and they can't receive any new meaning. Because negative emotions stop new understanding and new meaning. They just stop it dead. There's no way that you can be negative and get new meaning. There's no way that you can be negative and understand. People will object to that as well. They'll say, no, when I'm negative, it's because I really do understand. No, when you're negative, it's because you really don't understand, because you misunderstand. That's what makes you negative. But they insist that that's not the way it is. So they want to keep their imagination that when they're negative, they're really in a good place. It's because they understand. We speak a great deal about imagination in this work. We talk about it a lot. I hear you talk about it a lot. I hear 
But when I talk to people, they say, well, maybe that's just imagination. Well, that's probably just imagination. Well, you're told so many times that a lot of your work is just imagination. You're not really working, you're just imagining that you're working. And that's offensive. People don't like to hear that. They like to hear other things. Oh, you're doing so well, Maya. You really are progressing. You know, Tammy, I'm meaning to tell you, it's just amazing how far you've come. It's just astounding. You know, you used to be this hideout person who told lies and stuff and would say, you know, almost anything to get people off your back and to move them out of your way and you've just changed so much you're now the most vocal person in the room and you know it's just like people love to hear that crap but it's, it's what it is it's just not true and it's not true because we don't change that way the change is gradual and slow and very difficult because it takes such huge amounts of effort and because you've got to make right effort it's not a matter of just making effort it's got to be right effort and we don't know what right effort is we think right effort is the effort we make no. Right effort is usually the effort we don't make. The thing about um, imagination is when we talk about it, we're talking about the common sort that causes so much trouble for us and our world. There are two kinds of imagination. There are two kinds of almost anything. We think there are two kinds of love. Well, there are two kinds of love. There's this physical love that we, this attached, identified love that we have, and then there is this love that we don't have, this real love, this conscious love that we don't have. There are two kinds of imagination, the common, mechanical form, and the other, more rare kind. There's an imagination that we serve and the other that serves us. One is passive and the other is directed and therefore controlled. So we're talking about passive imagination, which is mechanical imagination, and obviously that's the one that causes us a lot of problems. And then we're talking about some other kind of imagination that we don't know a lot about. It's called directed imagination. It's controlled. We don't know a lot about that. The reason we don't know a lot about that is because we spend the majority of our time in the other one, the mechanical, passive imagination, the imagination that just happens without us directing it or controlling it at all. Now, this latter kind of imagination is what we also call fantasy and daydreaming. I don't know if you have observed how much you fantasize and daydream, but you haven't observed it enough. <laughs> let, me just, let me just say that. Let me just say that no matter how much you've observed it, you haven't scratched the surface of it. It's terrifying when you really start to see how much of your life and how much of your life force goes into fantasy and imagination and daydreaming. Now, the chief feature of this kind of imagination, this daydreaming, this fantasy, is its lack of second force, which makes it overpopulate our lives until there's nothing left of us. All right, so let me talk to you a little bit about what that means. We talked about the three forces. Do you remember we talked about the three forces? We talked about the creative force. We talked about the destructive force and the preserving force. Remember the, the law of three. And we have, so the creative force is the initial original force. And then there's the opposing force, second force, which opposes that or destroys that. And then we have the third force, which is the neutralizing force that makes it possible for something to actually happen. It breaks the Mexican standoff. It breaks the deadlock between the two forces, the creative force and the destructive force or the opposing force. If there wasn't a third force, you can see that everything we created would be destroyed. Create, destroy, create, destroy. But it's not that way because there is a preserving force or a neutralizing force. And so I want to talk about this a little bit because that's the problem with daydreaming and fantasy. There's no second force. So that means it can just go on 
creating, creating, creating all the time. And what does that mean? Okay, you remember the example that I gave you a couple talks ago? So I don't remember when it was, but when we were talking about those three forces, and I said, the sea turtles. Do you remember the sea turtles and they lay all these eggs? Or we could use frogs. Have you ever been, people who have been around ponds, have you ever seen frogs, the eggs? Just huge, 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 big sacks of hundreds and thousands of eggs. And the reason is because not all of them make it. They become food for other things. And that's the destructive force. So the creative force is creating, creating, creating. And if the destructive force isn't out there destroying, so if the sea turtles, as they're heading for the water, if the predators don't come in and eat them, it wouldn't be long if there was no destructive force, if there were no natural enemy. It wouldn't be long before they would overpopulate the sea. In other words, there wouldn't be any sea left. There would just be sea turtles. You may not be able to, to imagine that, but if you'll direct your imagination instead of just let it be passive, if you'll control it a little bit and see that it's a matter of math, it's a matter of numbers, that it wouldn't take that long before they overpopulate everything. So this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this chief feature of daydreaming or fantasy is it doesn't have a second force. So there's nothing to stop it from overpopulating our lives. In other words, it will eat us up. It will devour us. It will end up taking over us so that we don't have a life. I'll give you examples of this. Do you remember the high school quarterback who was really popular in high school? You remember the prom queen who was really popular? Maybe you were. I hope not, but maybe you were. But most of the people who end up here usually weren't there, (laughs) I find. Most of the people who end up here weren't there. My point is the high school quarterback, the prom queen, find usually that shortly after high school, all of that is forgotten. So let me put it to you this way. I met a chiropractor back in the 70s, I think it was. Yeah, late 60s, early 70s. I met this chiropractor when I was visiting New Jersey. I lived in Florida at the time, and I was visiting New Jersey. My aunt had married a chiropractor, so I met this guy. His nephew was, when I was in high school, he was the most popular guy in the class. You know, when he found out who I was and where I went to school and everything, oh, he said, do you know so-and-so? And And I said, yeah, sure, I know so-and-so. I said, yeah, he was just great and blah, blah, blah. He football player and everybody loved him, you know, he had a cheerleader on every arm and a trail of them behind him, you know. I mean, this guy was just the most popular, the best dressed, the best looking, the best everything. I mean, this guy was just like it. He was like what high school was about. It was the social experience. So, Patty, you must know because you longed to be one of those people, didn't you? Yeah. And you still do, actually. But we won't go into that. But um, there are people who actually longed to be that. And there are people who still long to be that. Well, he went on to tell me, oh, well, you know, high school, his hair was thinning and he went bald after high school. He did marry the most popular girl in school. And uh, he was one of the most miserable people alive now. He was working as a prison guard in a prison. And his big joy in life was abusing prisoners getting out his hostility and his anger by abusing prisoners, but he was miserable. And then he would go home to his beautiful prom queen cheerleader wife who was still leaving bubblegum in all the ashtrays. And he was just sideways about that. So what I'm trying to say is that it was shortly after high school that was forgotten. But the fantasy continues from the high point. I had a girlfriend once, and her family was wealthy. Her family had money. So she was raised in you know, a way that they had this place every summer they would take the whole summer off the whole family would take the whole summer off and they would go to this lake 
this very exclusive lake that there were only just a few houses on because these wealthy people owned it and there were just a few houses on the lake. And they would go there every summer and they would spend the whole summer there and they never had to leave. They would just have their food sent in. They would have food catered and if they wanted to cook then they would have the grocery stores just deliver the food and they would have the liquor store deliver the liquor and they just ate and drank and played for months. That's all they did. They never did anything else. They had boats, they had skiing, they had everything you can possibly imagine. And every single summer that I knew this person, she went into the tank. She got depressed and dark and suicidal because it was summer and she didn't have that experience. She didn't have that three months of vacation where everything was taken care of, where all you did was just have fun. Of course, there are not many people that we know who can afford to do that, but there are people who can and do. And they're the happy people. They're the people that we all want to be. They're the people that all this fantasy is about, that all this daydreaming is about. Anyway, my point is, that was her high point. And what happened was it turned her bitter, and it turned them bitter toward life when they didn't get instant star status out of high school or out of whatever it was that was their high point. They started to complain about their lives. They started to complain about the people in their lives. And then they found something else happening. They couldn't have any relationships. There were no relationships, really. No real relationships with people because all of their relationships were based on imagination. All of their relationships were based on something that wasn't real, that had no second force. And those of you in relationships, which is everyone, whether you're in a relationship with another human being, married or whatever, you're still in relationships. You have a relationship to your boss, you have a relationship to your employees, your kids, whomever. You have relationships to people in the grocery store. You have relationships. So we've all got relationships, whether we like it or not. Problem is, they don't work. People end up satisfying themselves with fantasy, sucking force from the relationships to life, to their job, to their husband, to their wife, to their children, all those things. As long as you're fantasizing, here you have this dream world with no second force, nothing there to oppose it, nothing there to stop it. It's all great. This is why pornography has taken such a toll and it's torn society so much, is because it's pure fantasy. And there's no second force. There's nothing to stop it. There's nothing to oppose it. So it's pure fantasy. So what has to happen? What well, has to escalate and escalate and escalate and escalate and escalate and be more and more and more. And people in a real relationship, there are real opposing forces that keep that from happening. I mean, it's like there just are. Anyone in a relationship knows that. It's just not always peachy keen, no matter what you think. But in a fantasy, it's always peachy keen. And if it's not, you just change it a little because there's nothing to stop it. There's no second force. There's no opposing force to stop it. So you can just tweak it whenever you want. They're imaginary friends, and that's what these things become. Are there fantasies? the birth at the high point of their lives or what they think is the high point of their lives. And then at that point, they begin to eat them while they while away life, daydreaming how wonderful they could have been, how it might have been this way. Oh, if I had just done this, then I could be a doctor now. Or if I had just done this, then I could be married to so-and-so. And my mother's thing, I remember my mother's thing, she used to say, I should have married Casey. <laughs> but mom, then I wouldn't be born, you know. Like, well, I should have married Casey. Her point was, there's this really great guy that she knew before she met or married my father. And when things weren't going well with my father, she would go to her daydream of she should have married Casey. Anybody who's divorced 
knows that the person they were married to had some fantasy. Maybe it was their high school lover, boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe it was whatever, but they had some fantasy. There was somebody who was going to take them away from all this, take them to Tahiti or to Timbuktu or to Zimbabwe or someplace, and they were going to live happily ever after on an island and just, or at the Blue Lagoon and just be in love all the time and it was going to be wonderful all the time. No second force. So there's nothing to stop it. There's nothing to oppose it. So they can keep on going with it and keep on going with it. But what they don't understand is that it is eating them. It is hollowing them out. That if there's anything in them at all that could meet life, it's being hollowed out. It's being scooped out. You remember that commercial that can't remember what it was, it was with Alec Baldwin and we have this new thing and you're going to be able to watch TV all the time and turn your brains to jello and then mar aliens will come and scoop out your brains with a melon baller and eat them, you know, or something like that. You remember that? This is what this kind of imagination is doing. Okay, not literally, obviously, but it is still doing the same thing with our force. It's scooping out our force and eating it. So we have no force for life. We have no force for transformation. We have no force for understanding. We have no force for new meaning. And all of this transformational process is based on new understanding and new meaning. Without that, nothing is going to happen for us. Without that, we are going to stay the same. I don't care how much effort you put forth. Unless your effort produces new meaning and new understanding, it's not right effort. If you're not getting new meaning and new understanding, you're not going to develop. It's not right effort. You're not getting what it is that this work is about. And that needs to be the benchmark. That needs to be the criteria for success or for what you're doing. Not, well, I understand the ideas and everybody in the group thinks I'm really pretty much the best at understanding the ideas. And, and you know, and boy, I, I can tell other people all these ideas and I could write a book and I could do this and I could do that. Yeah, I'm sure you could. But that's all daydreaming and fantasy. Oops, uh, really? That's what that was? Oh, yeah, I guess I do do that a little bit, huh? Okay. So this is the form of imagination that the work says we must overcome. We're not talking about the imagination, the other kind of imagination. You may see the thousand-meter stare in somebody's eyes, or you may see that forlorn look on their faces when they enter the world of their imaginary friends, the world of private fantasy. You'll try and talk to them, but they're really not there. You know, you've got to get their attention. Hello? Hello? You get their attention first, and then they, oh, oh, yeah, what? They're just not there. Why? Well, because they're in this imaginary world. Think of the trees that give their lives for romance novels so that people can read that crap and have imaginary friends and imaginary relationships and imaginary romantic fantasies. Think of the trees that give their lives for that. Think of how you have given your life for that. How many of those did you read? Well, how many is a lot? Ten? Oh, more than ten. More than ten? Okay. But... You look really embarrassed. I guess I should back off now. I just don't remember how many. Yeah. We get lost in this and we don't remember anything really. Why is that? Well, this is exactly my point. You're not remembering yourself. There's no second force. There's nothing to stop it. It can just go on and on and on. And how did it stop? Has it stopped? I think so, yeah. For, for the most part, it, I think once in a while I pick up a book and it's got some of it in it, but it's not something that I go to. Mm -hmm. So it's not something you seek out now. Right. But if you find it, you enjoy it. Okay, well, these are all things that you need to observe. If there are things about you that, that I ask you a question you don't know the answer, what is the remedy for that? Yeah, the, the remedy for that is self-observation. 
That's the remedy for that. The remedy for that is self-observation. That is an area that you could be working in. That is an area that you need to look at and say, well, well, well gee, why is it you don't know? And why is it you're embarrassed? Because you are embarrassed. You see that you're clearly yeah. you're embarrassed. So when you're embarrassed, you're obviously defending something. What are we defending? Well, we're defending our self-image. We're defending what other people think of us. We're defending what we think other people think of us. Other people are going to think that I'm this nitwit who just reads romance novels and they're going to think less of me. And that's just not right because I'm really this wonderful person who can read romance novels if I want to, but it doesn't really, it's not really important to me. You know, all that stuff. You see that? Okay. So this is something to observe. The last thing in the world that we're really going to observe is ourselves. <laughs> And if we do observe ourselves, we're not going to observe that. We're not going to observe that. We're going to observe something nice. We're going to observe how nice we are. We're going to observe how far we've come. We're going to observe how good we have been. We're going to observe how much we're working. Aren't we? Yeah. Okay. So you got the idea. When you're woebegone and inconsolable in this way, are you negative or not? When you read romance novels and then your relationship with your husband isn't so good, are you happy? No. Are you negative? Yeah. Why is that? Well, something is eating you. Something is eating what you have to put into a relationship. So the reason your real relationships aren't working is because your imaginary friends are more fun to be around. And your imaginary friends are more fun to be around because there's no second force, because there's nothing real about them. It's imaginary. And even if you imagine second force, it's still imagined second force. It's what you want second force to be. It's not real. This is the odd part. When people get in this stage, what are the... I got an email from somebody who was just so incredibly negative. And one of the things they yelled, you know, because they write in caps, I'm not negative. Yeah, I can see that. That's very obvious. You're not negative. We're never negative. And when we are, it's always somebody else's fault. It's never our fault. It's always someone else's fault. So it's justifiable. So we can say, well, I'm not really negative. This is justifiable. No, you're really negative and you've justified it. So we get there. We get this inconsolable, oh, isn't it awful thing that we're, we're negative, And then we say we're not negative. And that's the chant of self-defense. I'm not negative is the chant of self-defense. And like I said in the beginning, know that what you defend, you get to keep. Remember that? Know this. Know that what you defend, you get to keep. Know that if you defend a position, you get to keep that position. Know that if you keep that position, you don't get a different position. That's the position you get. That's where you stay. So let's look at it this way. Let's say you defend a plot of land. That's the plot of land you get to keep. So if you want to go and move somewhere else, you can't because that's your plot of land. That's what you're defending. So this whole idea of change, of transformation, of being different means you've got to give up whatever it is you're defending. But we don't want to give up what we're defending, which means you don't really want to change. You don't really want to be transformed. You don't really want to move into a new state. You can't defend the state you're in and move into a new state. It can't happen. You've got to give up defending the state you're in in order to get to a new state. This is all about getting to a new state of consciousness. This is all about rising internally in our level of being. And in order to do that, you've got to stop defending your current level of being, your current thought system, your current feelings. You've got to stop doing that. That's not something that we do. Why? Because we have these imaginary friends in this state with no second force. And they keep us company. And they keep us asleep. 
and they keep us daydreaming, and they keep us with that thousand-meter stare in our eyes, where we're just like, oh, yeah, life, well, huh? Like that. We withdraw from what we have to do in life, and we while away the hours daydreaming of what might have been, what never will be, what could be, what might be. I had a friend who spent, I don't know, months dreaming about this relationship that he could have with some person. And he didn't cut the lawn and he didn't do this and he didn't do that. It just His life just kind of went on hold. You'll see this on the Internet a lot. People who get in Internet relationships and suddenly their imaginary Internet friend, and trust me, it's imaginary because there's no second force on the Internet. This imaginary Internet friend turns out to be just wonderful and the person they're with is just like the worst. Why is that? Well, there's second force involved in that relationship. That's why that is. And second force is unpleasant, isn't it? It's opposing. It opposes us and we don't want to be opposed. We just want everything to be the way we want it all the time. So these people get into these fantasy relationships and then their lives go on hold. They don't take care of the kids, they don't take care of meals, they don't take care of the car, they don't take care of their job, they don't take care of this, they don't take care of that. And suddenly, everything's starting to fall apart. And then second force in their life pushes them even further into the fantasy. And so the further they're pushed into the fantasy, the less they want to do with their lives and the worse their lives get. This is what I'm talking about. We withdraw from what we have to do in life and enter this state of passive imagination that has no second force. And we don't understand that it is eating us. We don't have the force to do what we need to do in life because the force is being eaten by our imaginary friends in this passive imagination, this fantasy, this daydreaming. How many romance novels and poetry are based on this type of imagination? And oh, how they sell this daydreaming, this fantasy thing. People dreaming of what it would be like to be truly loved and appreciated. You can't tell me that you haven't done this. Or an adored rock star, or a supermodel, or a famous doctor, or whatever, a race car driver. Look at all of the things that people imagine. Well, if only, if only, and I just missed my window of opportunity, darn. And it just devours their lives. The imaginary friends have no second force in them, and so render unhappy those who entertain these guests. Some sincere self-observation might begin to drive away our imaginary friends. Oh, that's scary. An honest assessment of what we're like destroys them better than anything else. Just an honest look at what you're like. An honest assessment, an honest inventory of yourself really does take the wind out of imaginary friends' sails. It's like, hmm, they just, oh, that is over. There's just no time left for that. There's nothing left for that because reality destroys that kind of passive imagination. Reality just evaporates it the same way light evaporates darkness. You might see that you're not much good at being what you fantasize yourself to be because you have the wrong starting point. For example, you take someone who has a slight frame and is a kind of a computer guy and he just he's really not very coordinated at things that take physical abilities and or take somebody like Jess who's very coordinated with physical abilities but he's a little guy I mean, Jess is just not a big guy I mean you put him next to Steve he's a little guy and Jess wants to be say a, a fullback professional football player and a fullback well that's just not going to happen that fantasy is not going to happen because he's got the wrong starting point and the wrong starting point is that's the wrong body for a fullback so that's not going to happen. Do you understand? So there's some things you just, you face the reality of it by looking and taking a, an honest assessment of what you actually are, what you actually have. And then the fantasy then begins to dissolve.
Proper self-observation helps us start from where we are, not where we think we could be, have been, should be, might have been, if only. This is where passive fantasy breeds, in this could be, might have been, should be, well, if only. Then it all starts to grow from there. It all starts to evolve from there. You've got this certain place where you can meet your imaginary friends, and that's the place, that place where you think you could have been different, should have been different, might have been different, if only this happened, if only that happened. Passive imagination, fantasy, our imaginary friend, makes our starting point all wrong and can only lead to us being hollowed out. There's nothing else that can happen from that. The only thing that can happen from that is it continues to drain your force. It continues because there's no plug there's nothing to stop it. There's no cork to put in the holes. The cork of opposing force, second force, that can stop it. There's nothing to stop it. There is none in fantasy. Self-observation can destroy imaginary friends, as can a conscious shock, which gives us a view of ourselves and our life situation different from the dream states that we're in. There's nothing like a solid conscious shock. And every once in a while, life delivers one. You lose your job. That's a conscious shock. You find that this internet friend of yours is a 350-pound woman, not a guy, but a 350-pound woman in Alaska you know, who doesn't have anything better to do than to have these online affairs with people. This is what they're really good at. They're just like fiction writers, and they're just really good at this. And you find this out. You find out that your whole thing was this imaginary friend, that this person never really existed. And how do you find that out? Well, somebody sends you a picture or whatever. You find out. But that's second force. Second force comes in. You get to see what's actually there. And it's like, oh, well, maybe that wasn't, maybe it was just all imagination. This is very difficult for people to be snapped out of these dream states. Self-observation is so annoying because it brings second force into our lives. That's why you don't want to observe yourself. That's why it's so hard to observe yourself. Self-observation, proper self-observation, brings second force into your life. It shows you what you're like. And that destroys your imagination of what you imagine you're like. Where you have no second force, you can imagine you're all kinds of things. I'd have been a wonderful doctor. Really? Your bedside manner would stink. Well, yes, but I look good in the white jacket. <laughs> that may be, you know, but, but the malpractice suits would be outrageous. You know, you'd be drummed out of the business. Well, but I'd make a great quarterback or I'd make a great fullback or I'd make a great, you know. Yeah, sure, if you didn't weigh 130 pounds and you weren't out on the field with people who weigh, you know, 250, 275 pounds who could crush you like a grape. One play and your Super Bowl career would be over. One hit and you're done. Well, yeah, but well, I would never get hit because I'm so quick. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? It's like all this fantasy, all this daydreaming. There's no second force. And this is what makes self-observation annoying. You start to observe these things and it brings second force in. And now all of this stuff that you thought you could have done and you thought you should have done and you thought you were, now it all becomes faced with the reality of second force, something that opposes it. We hate second force because it makes us aware of the need for effort on our part. Hey, who wants to make effort? You know, nobody. You don't want to make effort. You, what you want to do is you want to kick back. You want to kick back and listen to podcasts. And you'll make the effort. Okay, I'll, all right, I'll go to the meeting. I won't stay home and listen to the broadcast. I'll actually, well, I won't get out of my pajamas. I'll throw a T-shirt on. I'll wear my pajama bottoms. I'll throw a T-shirt on. And I'll, uh, my wife will drive me there. And I'll get into the house somehow and find a nice, comfortable place where I can kind of semi-recline and listen, you know. And then I'll grow.
Well, then I'll be transformed. Then I'll have new meaning. Then I'll have new understanding because I'll, I'll get it that way. Yeah, right. And no wonder we don't like self-observation because it introduces that idea of second force, which introduces the idea of effort, which introduces the idea of getting off your bum. It's like, well, wh wh why should I do that? I worked all week. This is my day off. I'm kicking back today. I don't want to have to make effort. Okay. This is why we hate second force. Makes us aware of the need for effort on our part. What could be worse than realizing that our friends are imaginary and we're not superstars, but instead ordinary people? Blah. It's like, I can't think of anything. What could be worse than being ordinary person? Just another guy. You can't stand it. You can't stand the idea. At work, they like you. People want you. At work, you're doing this and you get this job and you get that job. At home, you got this and you got that. And yeah, you got you. You got this and you got. Yeah, we're all special, aren't we? In some way, we're all special and unique. But ordinary? No, we're not ordinary. No, ordinary. That's other people, not us. You see, you do have imaginary friends. You may not think you do, but if you don't think you're ordinary, you have imaginary friends, and there's no second force operating in that. And that's why you get mad at me. I bring something like this up, and it's like, shut up. Just shut up. Nobody wants... Shut up. Say, who you talk? Just shut up. We don't like that. Because it makes us aware of our need to make effort. Self-observation destroys our fantasies. It just tears them. It shreds them. It tears them apart. We see we'll never be supermodels because we're fat and ugly. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I'm sorry, but look at it. You know, look at... There are fat, ugly people on the planet. Oh, but no, everybody's beautiful. It's all, it's all good. Well, if it's all good, then why isn't it all good? If it's all good, why, are you, why do you need fantasies? If it's all good, why are you so unhappy? If it's all good, why are you daydreaming? I'll tell you why. Because you're a liar. Because it's not all good. That's why. And what makes it not all good is you. You and your fantasies. You and your daydreams. You imagine you could be some way other than the way you are. And trust me on this. Everything happens the only way it can happen. You're a machine, and you're not going to be any different. Nothing about you is going to change unless you make the effort that you don't want to make. So self-observation destroys our fantasies. We're not going to be supermodels because we're fat and ugly. We're not going to be rock stars because we have no talent. Okay, so right now, I can tell right now, I can see by the smiles on your face, you're going, yeah, well, there are a lot of rock stars who don't have any talent, and they do all right. You don't really know that. See, that's more fantasy. You don't know. The bottom line is you don't know. Well, I don't think they have any talent. Well, so what? You imagine you have more talent. You imagine if you had been in the right place at the right time, that would be you up there. You imagine that you could do it better. I mean, look, never fails. You start playing. I was, saw, I was driving down the street the other day going to the grocery store, and I look up, and here's this guy driving a propane delivery truck. And he is playing the drums instead of driving. I mean, like, I don't mean just like boop, boop, boop on the dash. This guy is like pounding the drums. And he's wildly, you know, it's like, I don't know, you think of whatever drummer you've ever seen who was, who was like really going for it. This guy was going for it driving this truck. I just moved over a little bit on the road. <laughs> thought, Give this guy wide berth because who knows what he's going to do next. But see, he was, a, he was a drummer. His imaginary friend is, is his band. He's a drummer in this band. When he goes to work, he's not at work. He's drumming 
in the band. He's doing that. He's listening to his music and he's drumming and doing that. How many times do you see people, you pull up next to them in a car and they're singing their heads off. They, thank God they have the windows up. Yeah, I know, Connie. Connie's one of them. You, you pull up to them and they're like, they're the superstars. They're the, you know, they, this is what I always wanted to be. This great, you know, and all these thousands of people, they're all looking at me and cheering for me. And it's like, trust me when I say, you have imaginary friends and you need to take a look at this. It shows us the need to accept our present life without the imaginary friends of daydreams. This is the bottom line. You need to accept your present life because there's no way to get beyond it until you accept it. Your imaginary friends, your fantasies, they eat you. They make you discontented and they prevent you from having real relationships. They make us think, if only, then things would be different. It's this force of imagination against which we must work, not directed imagination. Directed imagination builds bridges. Directed imagination builds great buildings. Directed imagination sends men to the moon. Directed imagination is something entirely different. Directed imagination is responsible for great works of art. Not our kind of imagination. Not these fantasies. Our imaginary friends know the way to the negative part of the emotional center, where our vanity is the entrance door. It's like, promise you that the door marked entrance is really vanity. And that is how we get in to the negative part of the emotional center. We get in through the door of vanity and our friends lead us by the hand. Our imaginary friends with no second force lead us by the hand into that room, into that place. We forget as we are, everything is done on the basis of false personality. See, as you are today, Everything in your life is done on the basis of false personality. It's all done for false personality, by false personality. Everything. No, I'm working. Sure you are. You're working really hard. So then what? One thing out of everything. And you want to build your whole imaginary friend relationship on that one thing. You've got 10,000 things that you're doing based on false personality, but you pick one thing that maybe you're not, and that's what you want to defend. And so now you get to keep the whole false personality. Brilliant. That's just genius. Why not just listen to me? Why not just accept? Yeah, this is true about me. This needs to be dealt with. See, false personality is completely imaginary. There is nothing real about it. Nothing. It is completely fictitious, completely false, completely imaginary. There is nothing about it that's real. But we have people who want to save their false personality and fix it so that they get to keep parts of it. Not the way it works. Imagination is one of the most powerful things. Left loose and undirected, it keeps negative states thriving. It keeps this life going. This world that we live in would not be possible without negative imagination. It would not be possible. Imagination of this passive kind will suggest all sorts of things that never happened and likely never will. Your imaginary friend is no friend at all to your development. The best thing that I can think of for you to do is to part company with your imaginary friends. And the way to do that is by taking an honest assessment of what you are and where you are and starting to deal with your life as it is, not as it could be or should be. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.